The scripture lesson today comes from Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they, prompt, they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried, cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Amen. Thank you, Cheryl. So let's answer the question, Is the Lord among us? Amen. Absolutely. He is among us. No matter what happens, he's going to continue to be there as he was there with his his chosen, his chosen ones. Otterbein of Navarre, a body of believers that came together on the building, it says 1964, but it really began years before that, didn't it? Years before that began discussions between three small little churches. Yes, three congregations coming together to build and to grow together as one church. And then early on, the Otterbein EUB. But yet, another change came four years later. 1968, four years later, the change comes. And it may have been welcomed by some, but others it was not welcomed. They did not like the change. They didn't want to join some Methodist denomination. But in all the churches that I've served over the years, there was individuals that were young enough they were young people, or they were young in leadership at the time, when there was the merger of the Evangelical United Brethren with the Methodist Church to become the United Methodist Church. And in those EUB churches, the attitude still to that day, and when they tell me about it from these young people, and I'm sure they heard it from their parents, and they heard it from other church leaders there of that denomination, and I quote, and this is what they have told me, we were a good church until those heathen Methodists took over. End quote. I'm serious. That's what many United Brethren told me. And you can chuckle about it. Maybe you've heard your parents or you come from the EUB side of things. You might have heard those heathen Methodists. I'm sure the Methodists didn't appreciate it. But they continued on, didn't they? They continued on. And as I said, I've, been, I've served those churches just in the last 16 years. And a few of them have closed, but many of them continue on. 
And you, Otterbein, went through many painful year, years of struggle, those early years of trying to become one, right? I've heard just a few stories about the struggles and different groups and, and what it took as he began to become one and to begin to gel. But here we are some 59 years later. So much has been done. Yes, many have come and many have gone. And that family trees, the roots go deep. Amen. Just in 59 years, those roots go deep. So I want to take a moment today. I'm going to share a few things. And next week I'm going to share a little bit more. Sharing about grief and loss. And in particular, when family or loved ones walk away or walk out of your life, or when even as parents you feel that your children have run away out of various reasons. Not even going to begin to say reasons why, but they do those things, don't they? But when family members move on and they walk away or they decide to do something different, there are emotional consequences for everyone, for those walking away, for those leaving, and for those left behind. Emotional consequences that last, last, and they could last a long time if we allow them, and they could be very negative if we allow them. We don't want to allow that to happen to us today or tomorrow or going forward. Emotional consequences for those walking away and even for those left behind. Those emotions, they have to be identified, they have to be dealt with. Because those emotions, they either cause, they cause a variety of emotions. But if not dealt with in the end, it turns to grief. Grief. Grief has to be dealt with. Grief is not a fun time. Grief is not something that we sign up for. We don't wake up one morning, raw bed, and say, I'm going to go find myself some grief today. Nobody says that. Grief comes. And as I share with the young people today, the message, it, it comes early on in life. We are all grievers. We are all grievers. And throughout life, we have to deal with a lot of grief. And through the Grief Recovery Method Handbook and the training that I took, you know, grief can be something as simple as leaving first grade and knowing that you've got to go to second grade. You're leaving your favorite teacher behind, or you're leaving junior high, or you're getting ready to graduate high school, you know, and you're facing life and the unknowns. Those are types of grief. Your dog dies. And then, of course, you name it, you lose a parent, you lose a child, you lose a loved one. Grief in many forms, many shapes. And we all have grief in our lives. All of us. No two people deal with grief in the same way. A same situation isn't going to cause two people the exact same amount of grief. 
It might cause grief in one way for one person, but for another person, it's going to affect them in a whole other way that it may be on the verge of setting them over the edge. When for you over here, it's like, oh man, that wasn't nothing. But for them over here, it, it, was, it was something. There in the Grief Recovery Method Handbook, there's a title, section titled, Time and Intensity. And I quote, and I quote, all losses are experienced at 100% intensity when they occur, end quote. All losses. Now, it's not the same for each of us. One thing that I, I consider a loss, you may not consider a loss at all. But some losses will have greater impact on our lives than others. And the timing affects it as well. The timing factor is huge. If you're healthy and well and something happens and causes grief, you're going to respond one way. But if you're already not feeling well, dealing with some issues, and maybe you're sick or you're not, not well, or maybe you're you know, all alone, Maybe you're all alone in your home or at some facility. That's going to grief, and that one thing might affect you a little bit here, but now that you're older, it's going to affect you in a whole nother way. And we begin to realize that as we get older, as we gain life experience, as we go through life and have all these things happening to us. But as Otterbein of Navarre, we are all grieving we are all grieving. We are all saddened by those who have changed and made some changes in their life and in their pattern and place of worship. Yes, they have left the building. They have left our presence. They have decided to go other places for worship. And with them goes their families. With them goes their time and talents and resources. Yes, all that goes with them. Is it normal and okay for us to grieve? Yes, it is. Yes, there is part of that process that we must grieve, but we don't stay there. We don't stay there, meaning that let's, let's go through this process. I'm here as your pastor and spiritual leader, to lead you through the grief, to hear from you, to move you forward. But I can only lead and go forward if you are willing to go forward yourself. More importantly, who has not left? God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are reminded from Hebrews 13.8, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And wherever he is, wherever his people gather, Jesus is the same. Romans 10.17, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word. Through the word about Christ. Christ is the word. God's word to us. Our Lord and Savior. So that means, what do we do now? Where do we turn? We turn to the Word, the Word of God for encouragement, the Word of God for direction. And I came across this passage I share with you today from Exodus. Exodus 
Exodus ties right into what's happening, doesn't it? The book of Exodus is God's plan, though. She reveals God's holy work, making an exit plan for his people to leave slavery of, there in Egypt and to get away from that evil Egyptian pharaoh. The whole book broke down in this way, chapters 1 through 4. Moses becomes God's leader. Chapters 5 through 13, Pharaoh is confronted. Chapters 13 through 19, the exit. 19 through 24, God gives his covenant and his laws, direction and vision. Chapters 24 through 39, the place of worship, place for the people. So we read here in chapter 17 today. The Israelites are traveling. Previously in chapter 16, you went back to read that, they just had manna and quail, all that they needed, all that they could eat. God provided all that. But now they are thirsty. They are thirsty. You ever get in a vehicle with, with, with children and all of a sudden everybody's thirsty? Happens every day. If you don't have kids, let me lend you a couple. Put them in your car, put them in the back seat, and let me know how soon they say, hey, I need a drink. I'm thirsty. No different. The people are thirsty. They are thirsty. They need water. They want water. And they're getting upset and angry. And they say, Moses, give us water to drink. To drink. Moses points out, he tells them, don't get mad at me. Why are, you, why are you getting mad at me? Why are you going to put God to the test? And they just continue to grumble. And they, then all of a sudden, when those things happen, what comes out of the woodwork? The naysayers and all the blamers and all the finger pointers. You did this. Verse 3, why did you bring us here out of Egypt to make us? to make our children, and to make our livestock die of thirst. So fast for the finger pointers and the blamers to come out. Why, Moses? What were you thinking, man? Come on, man. This isn't right. There in this third verse, the Israelites, they're falling in that human state of, woe is me. When all the questions, why did we? Who is at fault here? Who caused this? Whose idea was this anyways? We had all the water we needed back there in captivity. Yeah, they beat us and almost killed us, but we had water to drink. How quickly we forget the past. And what is this? I'm getting to the point that this is a form of grief. Grief that is building up. They're not just thirsty people, thirsty from eating manna and quail, but thirsty from traveling. But they're grieving. Grieving, and it just comes in this point in time where there is a need for water that intensifies the grief. Just as a family may be grieving the loss of something or someone, but then all of a sudden something else happens. And it just becomes almost overwhelming. Almost more than what they could handle. 
these Israelites they are beginning to reflect on what they had. Remember what they had? What they left behind? And all that was available when somebody else was just feeding and watering them even though they were working them as slaves nearly to death. Barely enough food to eat, barely enough water to drink. You remember the story, Pharaoh would get mad, he'd say, cut the straw back, make them make bricks with less straw, make them go dig more dirt and rocks and all that. Here they are needing a drink. Water to drink, water to bathe with, water for the livestock, water for the children, water that children would love to play in, grieving, sorrow. The grief is so real, and it's so painful. What happened? What happened? What had they forgot about? They'd forgot about all that God had done up to that point, hadn't they? Short-term memory. They'd forgot about how God had provided the manna and the quail, how God had helped them cross the Red Sea, how God had passed over them, but not the house of Pharaoh. Forgot about how God had brought all the plagues upon Pharaoh and the land of Egypt and then all of Pharaoh's homes and upon the Egypt leaders. How God had did all that and how God was doing all those things. And now they just couldn't wait. They didn't have heart or the brain or patience, and they couldn't wait for God to do one more thing. They couldn't wait for God to do something as simple as provide water to drink. They just couldn't wait. They quarreled, and they argued, and they got mad. Moses, like any good leader should do, goes right back to God, says, God... He cries out to God. He cries out to God. What's next, Lord? What's next for us, your people? I know you're not going to leave us here. You're not going to forget about us. And the Lord answers. You read that in verse 5 again. The Lord answered Moses, Go out. Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders or leaders of Israel. Take with you that staff. You know that staff I gave you way back when, when I called you to be the leader of my people? Hope you still have it, so go get it. Go get that staff wherever you have it. Have it in hand. You remember that staff? You know, you struck the Nile with it. Go get it. And go, Moses. Go and lead them to this rock. Strike the rock and the water will come. Of all places, if you know anything scientifically about rocks, rocks do not have water in them, do they? They may have holes and places where water once, where once held water, but they, over time, become empty. But not this rock. God is at work as water flows from a rock. Moses leads, not on his own and on his own ability, but he leads because 
He's trusting God. Moses leads because God asked him to lead. Moses is not the source. Moses was not the power. Moses was not the savior. But behind the water was God. God is the source. God was the power. God at work. Now the people, they'd been consumed. Consumed with this grief. Consumed by the moment of the struggle. Yeah, they, they've been through a lot of struggles. Getting ready, seeing all the plagues, getting their house in order, and all of a sudden they've got to get ready for the Passover and put the blood over that door mantle. Then all of a sudden, Pharaoh says, get out of here. They gather up their things and they're making their way. That's hard work. It's hard work to move, right? Have you moved lately? It is hard work and it is, it is a challenge. I joke around with people. You hear the expression about moving heaven and earth. I don't, we don't move heaven, but if we have to move, we've got to move a lot of earth. And it's hard work. The people have been moving through and they're traveling and they're to this point. And they're, they would be tired. They ate and now they're more tired. They ate more tired and now they're thirsty. Consumed with grief in this moment of this struggle that they find themselves in and they begin to lose it. The people really begin to lose it. And they quarrel, they argue, and they panic. They forgot about who God was and who God is. How God is the Jehovah Jireh. What's that mean? Going clear back to Abraham, when God provided the, the ram and the thicket to be the sacrifice, wasn't gonna, God wasn't going to let Abraham kill his son. But God provided the ram. And in that moment, called, Abraham called out Jehovah Jireh. The God will provide. The Israelites, they were ready to walk back to Egypt. For heaven's sakes, walk back to slavery? Walk back to the old life, the old ways? It's like, come on. But here we are, we do the same thing. We slip back into some old habits and old ways, don't we? But I'm here today to encourage you and to help you with the heartache and with the grief. Identify the grief. And if you had done that if, through the grief recovery method and classes that I lead, when you, you identify the grief, you name it. And name, talk about it. Why is it the grief? Why does it hurt so much? What caused it? And you just go through giving that grief a voice. And when you give it voice, it changes your mindset. And in the, and in the classes, it's all about changing the mindset where you, you take 1% one, one responsibility. As you name that grief, you take 1% one, one responsibility. Yeah, that it might be totally that other people hurt you, that other person use abused, what, whatever happened in your life that's causing you to, at this point in time this struggle. But you take one one percent responsibility. 
you name it, and then you give it to the Lord. Without changing that perception and that outlook, the Israelites, they, 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 they were just so focused on the water, and it's like, let's, let, let's get back to the old life. Let's get back to bondage and slavery. We want to go forward. God wanted them to go forward, and God provided water for them, as God will provide a direction and vision for us as we go forward, if we're willing to take that bold step, to step forward. So, Otterbein and Navarre, for you to move forward to a future of holy and fruitful work in this moment of sadness, in this moment of disappointment, in this moment of grief, we have to allow this grief to exit, to exit us, place it at the altar, to get past what was said or what's been done, but get past, say, Lord, what's next? Place it at the altar and get our eyes on the Lord. And as we place it at the feet of Jesus, he will take it. He will take it just like he'll take our backpack and he'll unload it for us. And when he takes it, when he unloads it, what does he do? He refreshes us. He wants to refresh us. He wants to refresh the church. He wants to refresh the ministry. And isn't that what water does? Water from the rock brought refreshment for the Israelites. It brought relief. It brought a new hope and joy. And isn't that what water does? Water enables life. And in Scripture, we can find that's what Jesus is referred to many times as the living water. The living water of Jesus enables us to do the holy work that is before us. To do ministry, even though it is so hard, even though it is, takes so much time, even though it is difficult, even though it takes resources, and it takes people, it takes manpower, Jesus is the source. Just as God was the source for the Israelites, not Moses. Moses answered the call, say, okay, Lord, I'll lead. But God was the source, and here today, Jesus is our source. He's the one that wants to refresh us and move us forward. So think about that this week and, and identify that grief, and let's surrender it to the Lord so that Another thing in, the, in, our, in our grief recovery handbook and in the eight sessions that we realize it's not about forgetting what happened in the past or losing our memories of the good times or the good mem- ministry activities we did with individuals that once were here. It's not about getting rid of them or blanking it out. It's about having a changed perception going from that sensing of what was lost to saying, oh, okay, I identify that I did lose that or lost them or this or that, but I still have those memories. I still respect them. They still mentored me when I was a young person. They were still my Sunday school teacher. They were still whatever. You you, you were not trying to block out memories. 
Because a lot of people, when they're struggling with grief and sorrow and sadness, they hesitate to go to a class or talk about their grief because they, I don't want to forget my loved one. I don't want to forget my spouse. I don't want to forget my grandpa. I don't want to forget my dog. And that's, that's not it at all. We're not, it's not about forgetting. It is about changing our perception and direction and how we view, saying, yes, this was a sad point in time. This was a sad moment in my life, but I'm not living there anymore. It doesn't define who I am today. Our Lord lives, and he is the living water. So next week, I want to continue on this and want to talk a little bit more about this because unresolved grief causes not just your backpack to get full, not to just get overwhelmed, but it causes physical illnesses. We get overwhelmed, health issues, mental issues, mental issues, emotional issues. Grief leads many people to suicide. Some facts for you before I close. Suicide is the 12th leading cause of death in the U.S. 130 suicides on average per day. Per day. The highest rate for suicide is middle-aged white men. 52.8% of suicides involve a firearm. So grief is a real issue in our world, in our country today. And if you have unresolved grief of any kind, maybe it's not from the past two, three months, maybe it's something from way back, it has to be resolved. I encourage you, talk to someone, talk to me about it, email me, text me, let's get together, let's work on it. Let's work on it. Let's get the help in church. Let's help one another. Let's help each other through this. Together, let's give it over to the Lord. And let's begin a new day in the name of Jesus. Let us pray. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The most powerful name that we know A name that is so powerful that when we speak it, the devil turns in fear. A power of a name that is so powerful that when we speak it, something within us begins to relieve, find relief, almost like a relief valve. So Lord, for those gathered here today with unresolved grief, at whatever level it is, I pray and I ask it, Lord, help them identify it, help them name it, and help them take a new, that, that, that bold step of saying, all right, I'll take 1% one, 1 responsibility for this grief. And then, Lord, you change their perception to turn the grief to just a, that moment in time. They're not going to forget but they're going to move forward. So Lord, today as the body of Christ, as the outer bind of Navarre, I pray 
for the leading of the Holy Spirit to help us all take that next step forward for your glory and your kingdom and for the ministry to be done that is before us in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We thank you, Lord. And in your name I pray. Amen.